Welcome. Welcome. No, you did not. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a special episode of Under the Dome. We have to enjoy Sunday. Because if I would have had to have listened to Six months of the Falcons as your national champion, your world champ. Sorry, I'm, I'm, that's how much I think they're a bad team. I'm putting them in college football. If I had to listen to six months of the Atlanta Falcons world champions, I would not have been able to take that. But by blowing it the way they did, it became the greatest Super Bowl in history. Next to Super Bowl 44, of course, but oh my God, it was good times. <laughs> How you guys doing? How you guys doing? Uh, I'm, I'm your host, Alan Ulrich, and I got my partner here, Sean. And I think you've got something here, Sean. What do you have there next to you? Oh, uh, from our, our marketing department, uh, soon to be sold or uh, available on our online gift shop. We have Tears of Atlanta in a bottle. <laughs> I... Look, uh, all my Houdat Nation people, we love you. You know that. Uh, if you're from the ATL, we hate you. You know that. And as my friend Sean Fox uh, pointed out on radio yesterday, it's petty. I own it. We still got a ring. And you still get the finger. They, they have people. <laughs> I kid you not. They have people shooting fireworks off out here after this game was over. <laughs> I mean, you got you know people just didn't understand. You know, I actually saw friends of mine on Facebook who you know who are pulling for the Falcons because they hate the Patriots that much and they hate Tom Brady, which you know I totally get. I'm not a Patriots fan at all, but. I hate Atlanta so much there, more. I mean, there's bad. a difference between Russell Erbslaben. Yeah, there's a I, difference between supporting the Patriots and supporting anybody who's against the Falcons. There's a big difference there, and if people, a lot of people make that distinction, and that is very much a two different worlds. There, I I despise the New England Patriots and Tom Brady and everything about them, their culture, their part of the world, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, uh, I was watching The Godfather uh, instead of the game um, <laughs> because I dreaded, I, I'm telling you, I, I knew Belichick could possibly beat him, but I just could not stomach watching, you know, because you know, people in Alabama don't need to hear that level of profanity coming out of me. Uh, I could not stomach having to listen My- to Buck and Aikman <laughs> go, oh, and, you know, so we have to ask, is Matt Ryan now the new face of great football quarterbacking? You know, this is the MVP, and hear about how wonderful the Falcons offense is. I, I just couldn't listen to that. I really couldn't. Well, I so- mean, you got to put things in context. Uh, we're supposed to hate Atlanta. They're, uh they're the biggest division rivalry that we have. Um, and that being said, there's a lot of bad blood. And the hatred between the ATL and the NOLA, uh, it's very real. And 
I buy into it 110 percent. But let's pay the bills. Uh, <laughs> we want to uh, welcome everyone into the Under the Dome podcast, the very first edition of the 2017 season as we have rolled our calendar forward. Uh, we are sponsored by Fan First Productions and we are available not only on YouTube, but on iTunes as well. You guys go to those two outlets and subscribe to our channels, please. It, we're trying to hit 100 subscriptions on each before the draft. Uh, and we want to uh, take a minute and welcome in our guest tonight. Uh, he is another one of our Northeastern brothers in the Houdat Nation. And he is a writer for the last word on sports. You guys help us welcome John Butler to the show. Thank How you. are you doing, John? Who, who, who that, everybody? How you doing, guys? Hi, John. How are you? I'm, uh, I mean, what Saints fan isn't ecstatic today, you know? I mean, we got the uh, seven-year anniversary of the uh, Super Bowl, the greatest Super yeah. Bowl ever. Yeah, and do I see – do I spy a Tracy Porter jersey in the background back there? Uh, yeah, you got Tracy Porter over here. I got Sam Mills over here. I got a, you know, there a whole you bunch go. of – Got a whole bunch of stuff around me, so. I'll wear my jerseys. I'm sorry, I can't hang them up. <laughs> <laughs> I just put I just put cheap pictures up on the wall. Give me a Saints wall back here. <laughs> um, so, and uh, actually, so, I was gonna say one other thing. Uh, I know, this is episode thirty for you guys, right? Uh, actually, I think so. it would have been, but uh, the week following the Super Bowl, we roll over to the new. This is actually. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, since I can never keep count, this is either the 30 or the 31st episode that we've aired. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So I went with uh, the Malcolm Jenkins. That's the closest I could come to 30 or 31. There you go. All right. There you go. So, my Good man, deal. man, Malcolm Jenkins is such a uh, fantastic guy, such a class act. Uh, yeah, he's a good dude. He, he'll always be black and gold through that nation to me. Uh, for me, uh, the the guys uh, Kyrie Robinson, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, and, and there were a or two others. But during my treatments and uh, when I was at my my lowest, those guys took the time to check up on me and uh, greatly That's appreciated. Awesome. And people wonder why I love That's my great. team. That's why. <laughs> What's not to love? Yeah. So John. Uh, what happened to Atlanta in the Super Bowl? <laughs> exactly, exactly what I had hoped would happen to Atlanta. Um, you know, initially when I when I started watching the game, the similarities between uh, our Super Bowl and what appeared to be their Super Bowl, um, you know, what you know, going in the number one offense, uh, winning the NFC South, um, we got to see a pick six in the game. Uh, it all seemed like it was playing towards, you know, like you said, six months of just hearing it on message boards and hearing it every time you wore your jersey out somewhere and you crossed the wrong person. So, uh, you know, to see everything crumble the way it did, I mean, my my level of excitement just gradually just grew and grew as the game went on. It was just absolutely fantastic finish. <laughs> my 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 notes say Super Bowl react. This is the outline for the show that I, I put together today. It says Super Bowl reaction. Ha 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 ha. 
I DVR'd it last night and I watched the whole, well, the NFL films, the NFL version, NFL network version where they cut some of the plays out, you know, for, for time purposes. But, um, I watched it again, and you're right. That first, they understood them. They stood a better chance of winning if you'd have cut some of the play. <laughs> I tell you, that first half was probably the worst first half of football I've ever seen the Patriots play. And uh, you know, to watch from, I guess the sack fumble on is probably one of the most enjoyable sections <laughs> of football. I've ever watched because the game completely changed. Uh, even when it was 28 to not 28 to 12 before the sack fumble, you know, you still had that feeling that, Oh, Atlanta's going to go hang another score on the Patriots before, before the game's out. And uh, once that sack fumble happened in the, in the, uh, it was like six minutes left in the game. And uh, you know, the Patriots are getting in position to score and make it, you know, 20 to 28. That's when you feel like, oh, this is going to be so enjoyable. If they blow this, this is going to be the most enjoyable Super Bowl I've ever watched. And sure enough, they did. I mean, it was just an amazing thing to see how suddenly that defense could not stop anything. And that offense, they forgot they lost time management or game management. They lost situational football. They didn't understand how much time was left and what you needed to do to win. And, uh, oh, well, I go right, Alan, to uh, the point that I made a week ago when people like kept asking me, uh, I believe it was you and I and Allie that were on here discussing this. And I don't know if I ever went so far as to make my prediction, but I, I kept making the point that the thing that was hardest for me to, the point for me to get beyond was the experience factor of New England. And looking at it in hindsight now, I think that that made uh, an incredible amount of difference because as the wheels began to fall off of it for Atlanta, you got uh, Darth Vader sitting over there on the Patriots' sidelines going, I know what I'm doing, dude. Uh, You're not going to hit me with anything that I'm not ready for. The further last bucket that the Falcons went the more that Belichick had a plan for. Well, you know, it reminded me of the game they, when they went to England, or if you look at the Atlanta website, they went to Spain. But when they went to England to play Detroit, um, you know, it was the same kind of thing where they got this game won and they gave it away to Detroit. And Detroit ended up beating them. And it was like Mike Smith had come back and started calling plays for the Falcons. It was just so enjoyable. It was no matter what they were going to run, it was going to be the wrong play. And I, I just I, I just can't get over As soon as it, they made it 28 all, and even though they had a minute left, because my wife is following on Twitter. She wasn't watching the game either. I was watching The Godfather because <laughs> I wanted to see something with a happy ending. So anyway, <laughs> what, what, you know, my wife's following on Twitter. And she's like, they just got it within one score. And I'm like, okay, well, how much time is left? She says, oh, it's about five minutes left in the game, four minutes left in the game. I said, what's Atlanta doing? She says, oh, my God, it just had this big completion to uh, Julio Jones. 
oh well, they got they got to score and, and get up by two scores again. Then the Patriots are going to have time. And to see the sack and then the, the holding penalty, and they have to punt. And, you know, now that's when I put it on. I'm like, okay, let me see what New England's going to do with this. And when they tied the ball game, I'm like, there's no way Atlanta is coming back from this. I don't no. care what happens. Agreed. And when they win, when they win, uh, New England wins the coin toss in overtime. I'm like, oh, Brady's going right down the field and scoring a touchdown. I can promise you, it's going to be this gorgeous touchdown. And wasn't quite gorgeous. I, <laughs> I expected a uh, like Marcellus Bennett reception. I'm like, this game is so over. Atlanta's just going through the motions. That this game is so over, and I'm going to so enjoy watching them crumble on the sideline. And they kept showing the owner, you know, Arthur Blank, who thinks he's still in the 1920s with the speakeasy mobster pinstripe suit standing out there. And I'm just like... That girl, and, half his age, there looking up at him going, I, I think he's going to have a heart attack. No. You know what this, the caption I had for that? The caption I had for that picture was, and now you know what it was like for me last night. When you couldn't finish. <laughs> wow. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hey. Buddy, uh, Jerry, or, um, I hope to God I'm saying this right. Jerry Poré. Oh, for, he sent me a, a message that says, uh, here's what happened to the Falcons. Number one, they rise up in the second half. Number two, they fall down in the second half. <laughs> Number three, they collapsed in overtime. The definition of a choke. Yeah. Oh, I have to give, I have oh, to give Ralph Mulberg the, the definition talk. of a fail team. Yep. I have to give Ralph Marlboro and his little crew of the Happy Hour podcast, which I'm not necessarily advertising them, but I'll mention them anyway, because he's like my brother from another mother. He read a comment from a fan that said, is saying – at least we made it to the Super Bowl if you're a Falcons fan. It's a lot like saying at least Kerry got invited to the prom. <laughs> Did I just make a reference people don't get? You know, Kerry, Kerry Fisher, you know, got invited to the prom. They put up as homecoming queen or whatever. The, right the pig's blood falls all over. It was a total <laughs> disaster. Yes. Uh, anyway, the guy that, go watch uh, the film. It's a good film. Terry, Terry Waldrop, the, the guy that I was on, uh, who had me on his show on ESPN Radio this morning, he posted by far my favorite tweet uh, of anything that I saw over the, over the night that night was, uh, and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I can't remember the exact words, but basically what the tweet said was, it's when you think Alabama can lose in the very most absolute gut-wrenching fashion, Atlanta says, here, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of that, speaking of that game, you know, that same thing. Um, the Falcon, the Patriots ran like 96 plays to the Falcons, 47. And I think Clemson had run close to that amount, yeah. like 80-something to 90 plays to the to, – um, Alabama's like 50 or 45 plays. Uh, now, granted, yeah. part of the problem was Clemson got that quarterback throwing the ball 
and he was not mature enough to know how to move that offense effectively and losing both Scarborough, you know, really screwed him up. But I think it's ironic that the Falcons hire Steve Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian to take over their play calling. And that guy called a game very similar to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like you didn't learn anything, did you? <laughs> You're going to call – you pick the guy who's not going to run the football, is going to throw the ball, regardless of the score, the lead, or anything. And yeah. you're going to wear your defense out. Uh, have we mentioned who Atlanta just hired for their new OC? That's what I was yeah, just yeah. saying. Yeah, that's that, that's yeah. Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian. So, wow. wow. So I guess John, my question for you then is: Will the Falcons have a Super Bowl hangover because of this? The way they lost. I mean, you know, Carolina's loss last year wasn't nearly as devastating, and obviously things didn't work out well for them. I can't imagine Atlanta doesn't have the same kind of hangover and uh yeah yeah i would i would definitely like our chances in the division a lot better just with the way they lost the super bowl here's and here's the thing for me uh i think you know new england of course gets to host season opener that thursday night i would not be surprised if nbc and the networks get match just like you saw with the carolina panthers and uh and the Denver Broncos, you'll probably have Atlanta going to uh, New England that first game of the season because we do play the AFC East. I'm supposed to play them on the road. Uh, yeah, that'll be the first game. So yeah. the, the Falcons for very very well could open up the season 0-1. Um, so, yeah, that's a perfect recipe for a Super Bowl hangover. And, you know, Absolutely. the injury factors, I mean, that's what happened to Carolina this past year. The injury factors, you lose a couple of guys because – I think Marcellus Bennett had said this. They always overpay Super Bowl champs. Now, that's over in New England. But you're going to see guys saying, hey, you know what? I played a great game. I think I should get paid this time around. Yeah, A lot of things that are going to go into it that really affects any team, especially the losing team of a Super Bowl, uh, trying to repeat the following year to get back to that game and try and make them, you know, correct their mistakes. So, Bill, I think that we have a hangover for sure. Bed check, Billy. Say, hey, dude, you ever heard of Cleveland? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think that the the, uh, the the likelihood of there being a Super Bowl hangover for the Falcons could be even greater than what we saw with the Panthers last year, strictly from the standpoint of the fact that number one, the biggest part of their offense or their success over the course of the season is predicated on the success of that offense. And now you're taking a key component of that in uh, Kyle Shanahan, and he's going to be the 49ers head coach. This is not – when it comes to a, an offensive a coordinator's job or a head coach's job, this is not a just play league. For that reason and that reason alone – I think that there could be a very uh, substantial residual effect on uh, on as far as uh, I hate the term Super Bowl hangover, 
but uh, there could be a long-lasting effect of that going on in Atlanta. Well, yeah, the, the classic Bill Belichick line um, yesterday, the day before yesterday, he said, we're five weeks behind the rest of the league uh, going into 2017. You know, he's already thinking about next year. The game just ended, and he's talking about we're five weeks behind. You know, so, yeah, and the Saints talked about that, too, in 2010, how being playing that kind of um, season where you have so many games all the way into February, you know, your recovery time is shorter. You've got so many appearances you make and all these things that go on that when the season comes, you don't have – it doesn't feel like you've had a full off season. So, you know, that, that – that's hard on especially a young team. And don't get me wrong, the Falcons are a very young, talented team. They're not going to just all of a sudden fall apart. But I do think that mentally it becomes a lot harder because now you're the hunted. People look at – they got a defensive coordinator and looking at your team, all your game film, trying to pick up any tendencies so they can stop you. And, you know, that's that's a huge difference from what they got this past year where they kind of surprised people, especially players like Gabriel. You know, they surprised them with – yes, they knew about Freeman and Coleman, but they surprised them with how explosive they were. So, you well, know, that, all those things you, go into effect. You, you look at the uh, – as far as the, the Panthers go, you, you look at just the difference in their defense a year in their defense this year such a there is so much parity in this league nowadays you if you're that if you're 15 and one as others were a year ago you go 15 and one well it stands to reason that every opponent that you have lined up next season as soon as their season is done they're you're the first game that they're going to look at absolutely and Sure, yeah. And, you know, you look at a guy like, again, speaking of the Panthers, you know, come on short, um, uh, Star Latouille, those players which are young and looked so good in 2015. In 2016, they did not play nearly as well as they did. You didn't get nearly the pushes you got last year uh, out of those guys. So, you know, you saw things that guys – just don't have that great career again. Going back to 2009 Saints. Now, granted, he was an older player, but you you had Darren Sharper play at an elite level in 2009. In 2010, he doesn't even start the season healthy and is never the player he used to be. Uh, he never he never finished a season after 2009, did he? No, he didn't. He didn't. And yeah, I, I think he, he was that he, he was too busy was doing like, other things. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was busy uh, taking uh, bartending lessons from uh, from Bill Cosby. Um, <laughs> I, I think but, the best that he did after two thousand and nine was uh, uh, five games, maybe. Yeah, in a yeah. season. You know, it, now, it just now don't get me wrong. Regardless of his downfall post career, I have made bones about my feeling that. That 2009 defense that was so successful under Greg Williams uh, that took us to the Super Bowl, 
without Darren Sharper, that Super Bowl run likely doesn't happen. Oh, no. for sure. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And for that reason alone, regardless of what he did on the feet off the field, you have to respect his contributions on the field. You know, you have to thank his contributions. You don't have to like the man. You don't have to like the player. Right. But you have to acknowledge that, that guy made your Absolutely. team is that year. Now, yeah, I, was, I've always felt a... that way. I'm the same way with Pete Rose in baseball. I don't <laughs> care what he did after he quit playing baseball. What he did on the field, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, and that's, that's the way that it is. What you do on the field should be the determining factor in whether or not you're honored with the basically Lifetime Achievement Award of going to the Hall of Fame. It's so politicized, well, now, just like in the NFL. The number two receiver, if I remember correctly, statistically speaking, the number two receiver in the league's history cannot get into the Hall of Fame, and that being Terrell Owens. Strictly because you don't – well, I don't care if you don't like him. He did what he did on the field, and you can't take that away from him. Right. But anyway, I, I got sidetracked. <laughs> uh, John, let me ask you this. What did you, what, in your opinion, what does Super Bowl 50 a year ago with the Carolina Panthers and this year's Super Bowl with the Atlanta Falcons, what does that say about the NFC South as a division? Uh, you know, when you told me that this question was going to come up, I was kind of torn because – on one side of it, obviously, you've got the NFC representative in the Super Bowl coming out of our division a couple years in a row. And like you guys mentioned last week, uh, it's the first division since their realignment to send all four teams to the Super Bowl. Um, so obviously, there's some talent there. On a second thought, uh, I, I hate to make excuses for where the Saints have been the past, past few years as far as having that kind of talent in the league. So... I'm, I'm kind of torn as far as, you know, I'm not really sure what that means. You know, does it, does it mean that we're in the best division? I think we're in a very underrated division. I think that uh, a lot of people kind of overlook the NFC South because of a couple of the records on the bottom of the division. But um, some of those records have a lot to do with the talent that's sitting at the top of the division. So I think that's very well put. What about you, Alan? What do you think that the past two Super Bowls say about the NFC South as a division. Well, we're, we're definitely better than the AFC South, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the AFC saying, South, yeah, you've got two teams out there battling for the top five draft pick all, all the time. Uh, you know, Jacksonville and uh, uh, even now, well, the Titans are starting to climb out of the cellar, but, you know, the Titans and then Houston, I think they won a division when they, what, eight and eight? Uh, nine seven something to that effect something like that yeah yeah it was yeah, so. it was either one or the other of those two right but I think you know like I think it, it's probably the most competitive division in football and that gets overlooked a lot um, yeah NFC I mean I'm sorry the uh, NFC North is becoming better uh, the NFC East that's the media center. It's always going to be um, the focus of the media. So they're going to argue they're probably more competitive than the NFC South. But the very fact that you've had two Super Bowl 
participants, excuse me, come out of that division is huge. You know, you cannot underestimate that. Um, and the Saints can, you know, I think they went three and one against the uh, NFC West this year. Um, or do they? Yeah, they went three and one. Um, the, the AFC. They, what? Say that again. The NFC West. Did, did, did they no, sweep we, the NFC West? They we went three and one. The, we swept them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we swept the NFC West, and the NFC West a couple of years ago was supposed to be the the toughest division of football because of the Carolina Pan I mean, the uh, Arizona Cardinals, the uh, uh, Seahawks. The 49ers, the Seahawks, and even the Rams because of their defense. And he said that was the toughest division in football. So, I mean, to sweep that team, you still seven, sweep that division, and you still end up 7-9, that says a lot about your division. And I don't think any team has ever swept – has ever swept uh, the NFC South. Uh, Carolina and Atlanta, even when they had as great a record as they had, the one loss Carolina had – in uh, 2015 was to the Falcons. So they went five and one in our division. When we played uh, the NFC South, I mean, when we uh, went to the Super Bowl 2009, we went uh, four and two in the NFC South, even yeah, though we went 13 and out. So, yeah, we lost. Yeah, the Carolina game, which really didn't, you know, it counts, but it doesn't count because we sat so many guys. Uh, and the uh, the Tampa Bay game, which, of course, was the missed field goal by Hartley, um, yeah, both of those divisional games, and you know, you throw out the records every time. So, but back to what I was saying before, I think it says that division, our division, needs a lot more respect than it gets um, because you've had two uh, NFC uh, conference champions come out of it, um, and Tampa's supposed to be an up and coming team, so. You know, it, it's not yeah. going to be easy for us to to rise up and get out of the seven and nine doldrums and become a uh, division champion again. Um, right. You're in a quarterback driven league. You're looking at a division that represented by this year's most valuable player, Matt Ryan. Mm -hmm. Last year, or excuse me, year before last, uh, number one draft pick, Jameis Winston. Cam Newton was was the MVP of the league, so you have two back to back MVPs in the same yeah. co same division. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, and you've got the only multiple time five thousand yard season pass. Oh, absolutely! In absolutely, pick your poison. Uh, you know, I, I think it's. No. I can see it going either way. Actually, I think that it says a lot about how competitive the division is, but at the same. time, I'm, in a way, it concerns me that maybe possibly people are getting the wrong impression of the NFC South because the past two Super Bowls uh, have been really, really uh, tragic endings for the <laughs> NFC South. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it has been. It wasn't the same team that beat them. Uh, Denver, you know, it was, once again, Peyton Manning in one game uh, and Tom Brady in the other. Yeah, You know, um, this is what we were talking about a little bit off air. As impressive as it is that Tom Brady has five Super Bowl rings, uh, as impressive as it is they've gone to, what, seven Super Bowls in the Belichick, nine as a franchise. Um, you know, they had, a, they had a picture up on the AFC, talking about the AFC Championship, and it was 
you know, picture of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, you know, Joe Flacco in there like the black sheep, uh, you know, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. <laughs> the same, you know, it was the same four quarterbacks in the AFC Championship game every year. You know, and and you have I take that in consideration when we're talking about uh, the Patriots' success. Uh, it is an incredible run. It's unbelievable the fact that they have gone to as many Super Bowls as they have. But you're also looking at a conference, unlike the NFC, you're looking at a conference which is very – there's a small group of teams that are at the very top that will be in the AFC Championship every year. And then there is a little group that's going to be in the playoffs every year. Then you've got the bottom. <laughs> you've got the bottom – the teams that are going to be looking uh, at the number one and number two overall picks of the draft every year in the Cleveland Browns and the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, it, it's the same teams. Whereas in the NFC, you know, we saw Carolina 7-8-1, and 15-1, and 6-10. Atlanta goes from what? Uh, I know they were eight and eight last year. I think they were three and thirteen two years ago, or or four and twelve, something awful like that. Then they go eight and eight, and then they go eleven and five. You know, they're the division champs. You know, Minnesota's gone up and down. Um, the Bears at one time in the beginning were very good, and they've gotten old. Uh, you know, the Giants, the Redskins were last year. The Philadelphia Eagles made it two years ago or three years ago. Um, you know, it's it's different teams going to the playoffs all the time. Uh, Seattle was a dominant team, and they dropped back. The 49ers were a Super Bowl team, and now they've dropped back to the to one of the dregs. Uh, so, you know, it's a lot of movement. It, it, the NFC is so much more fluid. So um, it, it, it just – I'm not saying Tom Brady wouldn't be as great in the NFC, but I wonder – what it would have been like for Belichick and Brady if they were playing the NFC and had to deal with different teams rising and falling against them all the time instead of the same, basically four or five teams they face every year. Kind of a long way to answer that. I don't think it would be nearly so much the case as it is for them right now. Uh, I I agree with you. I think that uh, the Patriots getting to the Super Bowl has gotten to the point where it's not as impressive anymore because for the very point, very reasons that you pointed out, you know, who's, who's contesting them? It was the Broncos and Peyton left. It was the, uh, the Colts Peyton left. Uh, and, uh, kid from Stanford. Uh, oh, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck, Luck. right. To, in my opinion, y'all pardon me, but Andrew Luck is the most overrated quarterback that I've seen come in this decade. I agree. He's had all of the potential, and he's, I mean, he's got no line. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, and no running game, and no serious running game. Yeah, That's always been the yeah, Colts' problem. But I mean, crap, he had Kobe Fleener. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting segue. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and 
we're moving. We're, we've been going through the uh, the Saints roster, doing these positional analysis. And this week we're going to be uh, our analysis is going to be on the tight ends. Uh, Alan, what do you think of the tight end situation for the New Orleans Saints as a as it is right now? Well, here's the thing uh, with the, with you have to take into consideration the injuries. Um, you spent a lot of money on Kobe Flaner. Um, you know, I get that. Uh, you did that because you were trying to improve the red zone efficiency that you've lost uh, when this guy got traded to um, to Seattle. Uh, Benjamin Watson was a good player, but at his age was not a great player anymore. Um, he was not the red zone threat that Jimmy Graham was. Um, he could get you the first downs. He could get you some plays, but he's not going to be the mismatch. So you're looking at a tight end to try and be a mismatch. So you kind of you kind of overpay Fleener a bit to uh, to get him to become a weapon for your offense, for, to you know to move the chains and to be that red zone threat. What they didn't anticipate, obviously, is uh, the rise of Michael Thomas and the improvement of the receiving core in general with Brandon Cooks and, you know, even Brandon Coleman and Willie Sneed. So that kind of took one thing away from, from, uh, from Fleener was the pass receptions. The other thing that happened, and you ha- this is why I started with the injuries, once you lost uh, Hill – once you lost two men in the beginning of the year, you're now down to one really healthy tight end. You still need a guy to come in and block. Uh, you can't afford to set him out as a wide receiver. You can't afford to put him in a slot. You want him in there to help chip uh, the pass rushers to help out, uh, again, more injuries. Armstead's gone. So now you've got Pete sliding out to left tackle. You want uh, – Fleener and had a chip off the left tackle, and you know that Zach Streif has trouble with speed rushers, so you're going to use Streif. Um, you're going to use Fleener again to chip on the right side. Um, so that's why I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I know how you feel about Fleener. I, I have to say, the jury's kind of still out on him. He dropped some critical passes, but he also made some catches. But you have to look at his what, how they were using him compared to how they used Benjamin Watson, how they used Jimmy Graham. Um, you know, well, that, I, I think I think the point the point that you made earlier about the the rise of I think that was for, and I'm trying to think of the uh, not necessarily political way to say this in regard to Fleener. Uh, there were issues with Fleener, whether it be not understanding the playbook, whatever. Uh, and I, I, I'm not going to say that I really care about what the issues were. The bottom line is the expectations that we had Fleener were way up here where he was coming to in terms of those expectations, expectations was down here. Uh, of Thomas in that receiving core made up part of this area right here that was the difference in what we expected we got out of Fleener. Now, I, I, I don't dislike Fleener 
I don't dislike that we have Flynn. That we're gonna have to have. Maybe I'm wrong in the assumption, but the older Breeze gets, having that reliable, uh, and I'm not gonna say necessarily the the Jimmy Graham type option, more like maybe the Ben Watson type option. When when he's back there on third down, he he's gonna have to have that type of target that's dependable. Uh, I would have liked to have seen uh, Fleener be a little more reliable than he was. Uh, I think moving forward, having a year under his belt in this system is going to help him in that regard. Uh, And obviously the return of Hill and Uman and and the, the, pardon me, uh, name slips me from uh, the guy we got from Denver. uh, Like, well, yeah, I wouldn't worry about him at all. He probably won't even be on the roster next year. I, I, I would not be surprised to see the I, I Saints. Uh, when, when who man comes back, that makes him expendable totally. You're not well, going to keep four tight ends on roster. Anyway. Here's, here's the thing, and I'm going to th- bring John in just a second here, but here's the thing I think. Um, it's I think the tight end positions are going to make over this year again. Um I would not be surprised to see either Hooman or Hill let go and somebody else brought in to replace one of those two. Um, a younger uh, – Looking – You know, even a draft pick brought in to replace yeah. the, these guys. You know, somebody who they can groom to be a complete tight end, a pass catcher and a blocker. Um, I, John, how do yeah. you feel about that? Uh I mean, our bed's kind of made with uh, Fleener. I mean, he's a year into a five-year contract. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a little, you know, I wasn't necessarily down on him. I mean, obviously, there were plenty of catches that he should have made that he didn't, and vice versa. There were some catches that nobody expected him to make that he did. Um, but I wasn't necessarily down on him at the end of the season. But then after the season ended, I, I reached out to a couple guys that were Colts fans just saying, hey, you know, what did you see when, when he played, played there? And they said, that's Colby Fleener. I mean, that's, you know, you, you're, you're seeing exactly what you would, you, what we would expect you to see. That's what we saw when he was here. So yeah, that, that part of it's a little and, scary. And I've heard the same um, thing uh, from, from my friends from uh, India. Uh, they, they've said, right. Hey, what you got is the same thing as what we have. So, right. uh, and I'm not going to, I think, that moving forward, uh, just as I alluded to, I, I think that there's a lot of validity in the search for the tight end that gives you the hands and gives you the blocking in one player rather than having to have three players get two facets of the game covered. True. Uh, well, you know, uh, Sean Payton. that started with Greg because you didn't have Greg to block. You had no. uh, Josh Hill uh, and whoever else it was were the blockers. Of course. Yes. But uh, I, I think it would, as far as uh, what what Alan suggested, uh, I, I, I don't know that I'm completely comfortable with uh, using a draft pick to cover that need. Uh, possibly free agent, maybe. Uh, 
maybe uh, a drafted free agent even. Um, but well, they, they they want what they want is they want somebody's gonna be a matchup problem. That's what made Graham so effective in this offense, uh, and why he was not effective in Seattle. He was a matchup problem uh, in within our offense. And his most productive years, obviously, when he had Sproles uh, kind of as the underneath guy. So the linebackers had to watch Sproles as well as looking at Graham coming at him down the field. And you could match Graham up against a safety or a linebacker, which is not as good in coverage because, you know, somebody else has to account for Sproles. And then you had Colson at, you know, a younger age. You had, you know, much more effective receivers who could spread out and run all sorts of patterns. And you've got a much better receiving core. Now you need the tight end to step up, become an additional weapon, you know, on offense, as well as finding that that third down satellite back that can come out on those little wheel routes, just like what you saw uh, Freeman do with Atlanta, come out there and just totally burn teams when uh, when the receivers run go routes, the uh, the uh, tight end runs a slant and go down the seam, and everyone is taken off, and here comes Sproles in the flat and he's picking up 40 and 50 yards because he's wide open. Nobody's covered him. Uh, that's what Sean Payton wants to get back every, to. Every Falcons game that I watched this year, uh, pardon my, my terminology here, it pissed me off to no end when Troy Aikman and Joe, we have never seen running back tandem like this. Uh, <laughs> oh, in a, God, yeah. Thinking, I, I, that's because you got your head up your uh, yeah. NFC East Pierre <laughs> Thomas and Aaron Sproles, you, you didn't even see those guys play, did you? No, 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 we don't exist. We don't. The NFC South doesn't exist as far as they're <laughs> no. concerned. No. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that's why I think there'll be a draft choice somewhere. This is a pretty good draft for tight ends. I'm not saying we're going to bring in an O.J. Howard, but – we uh, I, I would not be surprised to see the Saints try look at tight ends pretty closely and decide to take uh, decide to take some yeah decide to take somebody especially if they were able to pick up uh, say Leary uh, as a guard in free agency uh, that's one less need to address in the draft um, you know so that when you start getting to the fourth and fifth and uh, well they don't have a fifth round pick but fourth and sixth round and seventh round picks. Um, you know, you now you're looking at best player available. You're looking at players of depth, uh, and I think they they really would like to improve that tight end position. Uh, get some more, get some more depth. Uh, get in more of a, a a blocker who can also catch and can be split out and that kind of thing. So I can't sit like this. I can't sit like this in front of my my backdrop. It makes me look like a a nun with a unicorn. Gonna move. <laughs> I'm glad I'm you just, said sorry. that. Did, did anybody else have butterflies uh, a little more than a week ago when they? I'm saw... just sitting here listening to Alan going. What's that? Oh my God! I look like a <laughs> the unicorn. Uh, hey, I, I, I'm happy Atlanta lost. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, that's all that mattered. We got news today, uh, and Alan and. I, Alan and I were talking about this off the air, uh, uh, John, but maybe you can shed some light on it where we couldn't. Uh, today, the Saints hired Ryan Nielsen as the defensive line coach, 
which subsequently leaves uh, only the special teams coordinator coach job open. Uh, can you speak anything to uh, to this hire? Uh, do you are you even aware of who Ryan Nielsen is? <laughs> oh, all, all I all I can say about the hire is this: if we if we get Nick Fairley secured and and back on the line. We draft high and get an edge rusher. He's going to be a great coach. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Short of that, I, yeah, I, I don't hey. know. I don't know much about him, to be honest with you. You know, I, I looked him there's, up right after I saw nothing that. that makes defensive. There's nothing that makes a defensive line coach look better than sacks. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I know, Go ahead, Alan. I was going to say I looked him up as soon as I saw the. Uh, the alerts coming across, uh, you know, the Saints had hired him. They haven't officially confirmed it yet, but, you know, his coach wished him well. Um, he was the uh, defensive line and running backs position coach uh, for North Carolina State, I believe. So they had two guys, yeah. I think, with double-digit sacks for North Carolina. And North Carolina State, I mean, is not, you know, it's not the SEC. It's not uh, a powerhouse, but that's still impressive. But this is the thing we talked yeah. about this earlier when when uh, Mike Nolan was announced as the uh, linebackers coach. I think Andrew Judge was uh, was not a fan of the move because he wanted a younger, uh, newer coach, um, not a retread at linebacker coach. I think that's what you got here in defensive line. You've got an up and coming coach who may very well turn out to be a kind of guy that's going to rise up the ranks and become a defensive coordinator and a head coach someday. Um, I, I think it's a good move because with Mike Nolan there, a former head coach, um, and with um, – I just drew a blank. Allen. Before defensive coordinator. Yeah, Dennis Allen. <clears throat> Dennis Allen is defensive coordinator, another former head coach. We've got the leadership and experience needed in the defense – so now you can have a young defensive line coach who these guys can work with and work together and come up with schemes, and he can kind of focus really on the fundamentals with these guys and getting these guys to do things and work on all that developmental stuff that the fans have been screaming about, the claim that Bill Johnson, Joe Vitt, and so forth never did with players. Uh, you're going to get a more developmental coach now with, I think, with uh, with Nielsen. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll see how, how good or bad this hire will be. Um, at least right now the Saints fans can't blame him or go, oh, my God, what did we do? Like they do every other coach that we seem to hire. Um, well, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it works out anyway. I mean, um, there's a lot work positions to be in as a uh, as a newly christened defensive line coach than to have Cam Jordan, uh, Nick Fairley, uh, uh, Rankins. Now I'm drawing a blank. See what you do to me, man? <laughs> yeah, I'm Alan telling Allen. you. Alan, you know, it, it's so much easier for me to write stuff than to talk about it because <laughs> when I'm writing – I'm cheating and going over to Google all the time. So what the hell is this guy's name? Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, well, I remember when all this. Write, when you're writing, you don't have people sitting there reading along at the same time. No, writing. no. You can stop and go, okay, what was that? Okay. Delete, back up, back up, back up, back up. Start typing um, again, yeah. Uh, 
Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my point was there's a lot worse positions to be in than uh, the the tools that a defensive line coach is going to have in New Orleans at this point in time. It, but I, I believe strongly in what John uh, alluded to earlier as far as fairly a priority uh, in terms of re-signing him. Uh, he will be becoming, as if I understood it correctly, a unrestricted free agent. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he never. Hopefully he never hits that market. Hopefully they uh, they sign him before free agency starts, which is actually very late this year. It's in March. Um, it it's not February. Yeah, right. And that was something I, I always remember. It starting right before the combine. It was like a couple weeks after the Super Bowl, yeah. then then free agency began. So this is you know the Saints have some time to uh, to get to Fairley and work out a deal and, and announce it the day before free agency comes out, uh, starts. Because I, I, I'll be honest with you, unlike a lot of people, I, I think most of the top talent will never hit the free agent market. I think the teams will lock them up either as, you know, franchise players or they'll try and sign them before they hit the, hit the market. Um, so you're, you're left – not so much bargain bin shopping, but you're you're now dealing with um, either players who can get overpaid, or you're dealing with uh, damaged goods. So, you know, players who certainly and, yeah, and you've who, got to, who hit that age. Those uh, those top, for a better term to use, those top tier talents in terms of the free agent market. If the teams that they're with do not re-sign them. Mm-hmm. That's got to make you take a step back and say, okay, what's the reason for that? So, uh, and, and no more. While we do have more breathing room uh, in terms of uh, salary cap now, we don't by any means have uh, unrestricted room, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, in all practical, for all practical and purposes, we are bargain shopping because we're going to have, we, do have a little bit more room than we have been having, we're going to have to make that go a long way. Well, you know, I, I definitely think the Saints, and we'll get more into this as, as with each successive podcast, but I definitely think the Saints need to take the approach of the more is better and not more money, more players. Uh, sign yeah. as many players as you can because look what happened, say, with the linebacker position. Um, this past year, we go and we, we get in, we bring Laurinaitis in, we sign Stupar, and we sign Robinson. Robinson turns out to be the best one of the three. You've kind yeah. of lessened your margin of error because imagine what would have happened if they don't sign Robinson, you know, and, and Laurinaitis is just your big signing, and that's it, nothing else. Uh, you know, and that was a bust. Uh, and I think that's what we've seen in the past with, you know, Jerry's bird. That's your big signing. No other safety comes in really. And that hurts you. CJ Spiller. That's your signing. Nobody else really comes in behind them. Kind of like the hedge your bets almost. Uh, so you really don't have, I think it's better if the saints. Yes. You're going to have to spend, Money to get like a Leary 
or uh, the, the, the guy from Cincinnati or someone like that. But I don't think you should blow a huge chunk of money to go sign Melvin Ingram, for example, even though he's very appealing as an edge rusher in a 34 defense. We don't run a 34 defense. Um, and to go out there and spend a lot of money on Melvin Ingram or Jason Pierre-Paul as opposed to signing maybe a guy one step down but is an up-and-coming player, drafting a guy, and now you've got – and then you still have Kiaka coming in as your third player. You're now starting to have, okay, I've got options. You know, if this doesn't work out, I still have somebody else I can go to. So, you know, I think that works a little bit better for the Saints at this point. I do too. I, I agree completely. Um, what do you think, John? Um, well, I guess it kind of depends on what your philosophy is. I mean, it, it seems like this year with Drew Brees being in the last year of his contract and not wanting yeah. to re-up right away, I mean, are you all in or are you thinking about the future? I, I mean, I guess depending on what your approach is, you got to go about it two different ways. But I definitely like the – more is better approach, getting as much talent as possible. But at the same time, to me, I I definitely go defensive end high in the draft. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's because to, to get an older player or to get a second rate player. I mean, we've got, we've got some guys we can plug in. uh, If you wanted that next tier down, I want, I want to go all in on the defensive end right out of the draft, spend, get get a long-term answer there. You've got you got the whole defensive line is relatively young at that point, mm-hmm. and obviously with the Super Bowl that just passed, I mean you saw what a what a good defensive line could do. I mean you know, Tom oh, Brady absolutely. was on his back you know, you know half the game. So yeah, I, I, let me just say that I, I don't mean that in terms of let's go let's go dig out a guy who you know I don't know another a younger version of Paul Kruger. Now I don't, I don't necessarily mean that. Right. No, I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking in terms of. When the plague hits of injuries, where you've got more people on injured reserve than you've got starting for you, you know, you're not you're not going, okay, one or two guys are hurt, and oh my God, I'm gonna start signing street free agents in week one and week two. You actually have somebody you can go back and say, Oh, look, at least this guy's been with us all camp. We've got somebody we can go to. Whereas, you know, once Bird got hurt with the back, I mean you really had nothing back there. You had um, uh, Bush for about two weeks, and he breaks his leg. Uh, so now you're starting to start street free agents, and, and you're right back to what you had with your your cornerback situation and so forth. And again, the depth issue is a problem because you drafted so poorly for so many years. You don't have those young players who who are ready to step up. You're trying to fill in your depth with free agents, and you're overpaying, so you're limited by that. Uh, it's just it's a catch twenty two in that regard. Um, right. So that's why I'm thinking, if we're going to bring in free agents for depth, you've got to bring in options, guys that can come in. And if if we're stuck with three pass rushers on the right end, I can think of worse problems to have. You know, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, if we learned anything from last year, you want depth. Right. Right. Exactly. So if I have a healthy Kihaka who's actually contributing, 
I've got a draft pick, plus a guy I signed in free agency. Yeah, that's a great problem to have, a great rotation of pass rushers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd rather have that problem than have the Sterling Moore and B- B.W. Webb starting for me in week three against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, you know, that, that was the issue I had this year. Um, Thank God. Right. Thank God that yeah. got better. Right. Exactly. Exactly. John, uh, man, we've really enjoyed you being here. Uh, we we'll have to get you back on sometime pretty soon. That would be fantastic. Uh, we're, yeah, we're gonna, I, give you an opportunity to <laughs> I'm being nosy. I'm looking the whole time. I'm looking at the screen. I'm looking at your, your display case in the back there. <laughs> I see. Okay. You got a, you got two Saints helmets. What's that one no, I, I, on I, the I got, bottom? I got four. I got four helmets back here. If you want to, if you want to, the peak. Oh, um, look at that! You got the '69 black helmet. Yeah, I, I, I hold on a second. Oh, I'm now we lost the second. picture. Yeah. There we go. Um, okay. Yeah, Alan, I got. Alan just hyperinflated. Yeah. Top, top corner is Turley. This one is uh, was a toy cook. Thomas Morstead is on that one. I got the uh, the kicker's grill. And then okay. down there's J- Jari Evans down on the bottom. Oh, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> it, it, now, how did you get that? What's if that? I understood, if I understood correctly, uh, John told me uh, earlier that his first interview, his first player interview, uh, kind of parallels into our show because his first player interview was with Kyle Turley. Yes, yes. I, I mean, and you guys know, I'm not going to get into the content because a lot of it from what you guys covered, but I mean, how great of a guy is Kyle Turley? I mean, it, it, oh, it, it doesn't oh, get any better than that. No, not at all. The, the thing, all. the was... fantastic thing that I can say about Kyle, not only uh, at a time that was really, uh, really important for our show, um, Kyle made time for us when he didn't really have to. Let me just put it that way. Uh, yeah. he, he did a huge favor for us by appearing on our show. And uh, I, I'm happy to say that since the time that Kyle uh, Kyle showed up for us, things have really just uh, taken off in a huge way. Fantastic. And they continue to, continue to, to ride. But um, – to, to drive the point home even further, uh, I, anyone that appears on our show, as you, uh, John, since I, uh, I booked you a couple of weeks ago, uh, as you well know, anyone that, that I ever booked to, to be a guest on our show, I maintain that contact with. I, I don't just uh, send you a text message here and say, hey, three weeks from now, would you like to be uh, a guest on our show? I... I like uh, a couple of times a week, I'm gonna annoy the, the crap out of somebody. But <laughs> bring it on, bring it on. They don't forget who I am. Uh, and, and the same thing I can say about Kyle. Uh, when I my my doctor reports uh, my tests the other day, I, I sent uh, sent him a message on through via a uh, direct message on Twitter and told him the results. I I, I can't repeat uh, exactly what his. Ex- was uh, at the the good news, but uh, let's just say he was very happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and anybody that's, that's great. 
anyone that's a Kyle Turley fan, uh, you can read between the lines and probably know what I'm saying. Absolutely. Uh, uh, John, tell me, uh, or tell our, our, our fans here how they can follow you and follow your work, man. Um, you can, Twitter's the best way to find me. It's uh, at St. John Butler. It's spelled out St., not S-T. Uh, at St. John Butler on Twitter. And then um, from from the actual profile, you can you can get into a lot of my work, which is on lastwordonsports.com. Fantastic. Good deal. Uh, Good deal. Well, I appreciate all the uh, commentary and the in the uh, liking of my tweets. I'm uh, I'm getting more active on Twitter. Uh, I'm starting to learn to tone down my ver- uh, verbosity because I only have 140 characters. So I'm constantly rewriting <laughs> what I'm saying because I start Absolutely. getting this long drawn out explanation. Like, shit, this is too much. I got to narrow this stuff down. So, um, yeah, I. Uh, I appreciate then all you the start, comments. Then you start feeling like an idiot because you say, okay, this why you can be the letter you. Uh, this FOR <laughs> can be the number four. Yeah. Okay, yep. that saved me four letters. <laughs> oh, believe me, I've done that. I backed it up. And I'm <laughs> yeah, going, of, okay. course. of course. <laughs> yeah, because 140 characters does not work for me. I mean, you've seen my Facebook post. I can write a book without even thinking about thinking twice. So that's, it's a big challenge for me to narrow it down. Um, So yeah, I appreciate all the, uh, all the follows. Uh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm hooked. I mean, I got my son, actually my son is sitting next to me. If you want to poke, poke your head over. This is, this is, this is Ian here. Here. I'm going to. Ian, I've seen a picture, brother. How are you? How you doing, Ian? I'm good. (laughs) He's a little good. Okay. Ian. Awesome. Ian. Awesome. How old are you, Ian? Uh, he just lost his earbud. He is 12. Uh, give, me, uh, give me one good, strong who that, baby. Who that? Oh, right. right. it's, it's an hour later over here. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's 10 12. I want to thank, every, uh, thank John for being with us tonight. Thanks, uh, thank you, Ian. I always like the kids better anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's it. Uh, Absolutely. John, we appreciate you, brother. Uh, you guys go and follow John. St. John Butler. Correct? Correct. St. John Butler. Yeah. St. John, John Butler on Twitter. Yep. Always Absolutely. And, and the last uh, word on sports. Good, good it stuff. automatically to your Twitter. Uh, okay. Uh, I appreciate the time, guys. Absolutely, man. Thank and you. we look forward Thank to you. having you back soon. You got Thank it. Anytime. Take care, guys. You too, bro. All right. Also, I want to give a shout out on Twitter uh, before we get too far away from here from uh, some of our new friends that we've met, that I've made. We've made. Uh, I'm stalling so that I can pull it up on on, the, uh, on my Twitter feed here. Uh, who that in NYC? You guys get a chance. Go and follow these people. They, uh, they've recently been an addition, and they need our support. Uh, you guys go out there and follow them as well. Absolutely. Uh, Alan, uh, next, I know you have something that uh, I want to finish on. I want, I, I want us to, uh, I want your uh, extra point to be what we, what we end oh. up on. I, before we get to that, I, I want to uh, make sure that we uh, not only plug the the draft show for uh, April twenty fifth, uh, 
at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Also, next week, appearing on our show will be a return visit from our happy the man moving up the ladder in life, Mr. Bob Rose. Uh, Fitting. On Valentine's Day, we have a rose. Fitting. Um, <laughs> I planned that. He'll enjoy that. He'll enjoy that one. Um, listen, my extra point is something pretty simple because um, basically it has something to do with uh, what I saw on Twitter and what I saw on Facebook immediately after the game. Um, people complained about the overtime rule, and I think pro football uh, uh, sports, pro football talk, the NBC, you know, Twitter and gossip page, I guess, for football. Um, came out and immediately asked, you know, should we change the overtime rules? And there's something going on in society today that we feel the need whenever something happens. And it's almost like people didn't get the outcome they wanted or they just didn't like the outcome. They want to change the rules to everything. We saw this with this Super Bowl, the election, uh, the election 2000, and I'm not going to get political, but or the Saints-Vikings game, okay, where we play by the way the rules are established, okay? We have an electoral college that elects presidents. doesn't matter what the popular vote is. We have an overtime system. It's sudden death. In the Saints-Vikings game, first team that scores, it wins. In the in – the, uh, they change the rule. So – in this Super Bowl, it became sudden death because the first team scores a touchdown wins. And people, it's like, that's not right. It's not fair. I don't know what it is. I don't like what's happened, you know, because it doesn't feel right. Well, it's the rules. It's the way the game was structured. Because overtime in the NFL isn't about giving teams a chance to win so much as we want to end the game, and we're going to end the game this way, okay? Because all you really, if you if you didn't, if you wanted to be fair, if you wanted to be balanced, all you had to do was go to a fifth quarter for overtime, and then if it's still tied, go to a sixth quarter, play another fifteen minutes, okay, and just go back to the three timeouts and the two challenges, just like it's a regular game, but. The way you play the game, you structure everything based on the rules. Bill Belichick wanted to win the toss because he knew that his offense was had all the momentum. So it's the best thing for him to do is to let him go down the field and score with his offense, not try and stop the other team with your defense. I think I pulled up a statistic this morning. Since the, cha- since the rule change, in uh, 2010, uh, changing the overtime to now you couldn't win with a field goal. I think it's dropped to 54% of teams that win the toss win the overtime game. So it's not like – because it's two sides to a game. You've got an offense and a defense. It's not like Atlanta didn't have a chance to stop the Patriots. They had stopped the Patriots early in the game, okay? They had stopped them all the way up to about six minutes left in the game and Belichick did things because he knew this was the way the rules were played. If he knew he had a whole quarter to play with a whole fifth quarter, they went to overtime. He would have, he would have uh, deferred 
because you would have liked to have seen what Atlanta was going to do. So I just, I'm tired of hearing people wanting to change the rules after a really good game. I wouldn't put the Super Bowl as my top 10, a top three or four, but I would put it in the top five, top 10 as one of the best Super Bowls played because of how it ended. Even if I didn't hate Atlanta, it was still an exciting game. First game was two overtime, but this idea that I don't like the way the game was played, so I'm going to change the rules. That's kind of like an eight-year-old almost, how they get when you beat them in Monopoly. And they go, well, it's not fair you to put all those hotels on Park Place and Broadway and Atlantic Gardens and, you know, everywhere I got to go. <clears throat> Your hotel is there. I, you know, that's not fair. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. But that's why I want to win the blue territories and the green territories and the yellow. So you go through my turn of hell where you've got to pay everything to me. You know, that's That's right. That's that's the way the game was designed to be played. So that's just how I feel about something like that. I'm not going to get into some social commentary and I don't think that I can say it any better than what you just did. Um, I I think that we're living in in time right now that, it's far too comfor- comfortable with revisionist history. Uh, history is what it is. And what happens, happens. You don't go back and change the rules because you didn't get your way. Uh, anyway, no. like I said, I, I, I can't say it any better than you did. Mark. We want to invite you guys to chime in. Uh, let us hear from you. Uh, we're on Twitter at Under the Dome PO1. Uh, you can reach us via email at Under the Dome Podcast at gmail.com. Oh my Lord, I, I have forgotten our email address. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, on our first show of the season. Uh, yes, our first show of the 2017 season. You know, uh, the 2016 season is now over with the end of the Super Bowl. So, absolutely. Um, we're gonna, this, is gonna a, stay- this is episode 17.1. Yep. We will and I be- promise to keep up with the right numbers this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to uh, – we will threat. We are threatening to be with you all off season. We're going to talk about the uh, the draft. We're going to talk about free agency. We'll talk about the combine when that comes up. In fact, I'm looking at a draft right now. Uh, I'm looking up for somebody else. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about some players that the Saints definitely would be interested in, should be interested in, uh, local guys because as much as it pains me to say, they had three guys from. Uh, Louisiana playing for the Falcons. And of course the Patriots love drafting LSU players. Um, And those three guys had a huge impact uh, for the Falcons, at least had a huge impact on the defense this year um, and in the Super Bowl. So, you know, we'll focus on some local ties, uh, some kids, not necessarily from LSU, but from Southeastern, from UL, my alumni, uh, uh, my, uh, my school, um, McNeese, La Tech, uh, you know, we'll just go through them all because um, some of those guys, as you saw with uh, the kid from Southeastern, who's the cornerback for the, uh, for the Falcons, 
may end up being a big impact player in the NFL. So it's guys you want to you want to follow. Uh, and we'll talk about you know after the draft, we'll talk about the mini camps. Uh, the rumor is now that the Saints may be going back to Millsaps. That's where they went in 2006 for training camp. Uh, everything old is new again. So it, it, it should be fun. It's going to be fun this offseason. We will have plenty to talk about. Personally, I hope they go to Louisiana Tech, which is like 25 minutes outside my door. They're going to ask me to leave, I can tell you now. But we're going to get some good material before they make me leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never sat through a training camp practice. I've sat through uh, the mini camps they've had at the facility. And, uh, yeah, you, you can see some stuff out there. It's not too bad. The seven-on-seven drills is what everybody likes to watch. The uh, the other drills aren't nearly as exciting. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I may go actually sit out there for one mini camp one Saturday and watch those guys um, in shorts and shells and, and let you know what I see. So, uh, anyway – we, we will have plenty to talk about, so we're glad you joined us for tonight, and uh, we will see you next Tuesday on Under the Dome. Good night, everybody.